water in his veins. I couldn't think of a better place to end the street in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. God's going down. God's stepping up. That's what football's all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Saturday, July 16th. And there are six more Saturdays until kickoff, and life is good. Uh, thanks for joining us again, guys. This is Nick Tully, joined today by Cody. Um, and we have finally compiled questions for our very first mailbag show. So thank you to everybody who submitted a question, sent something in to us um, on Twitter or via our email address. Um, and if you haven't done it yet, um, make sure you guys subscribe to us on iTunes or via your phone's favorite podcasting app. That way you can keep up with all the podcasts that we release. Um, we're going to really ramp up our recording here headed into the season. Um, that way you, you definitely don't miss a show um, and you can have those kind of delivered to your smartphone um, whenever we record. Um, let's see, in terms of kind of this, this episode, we'll go through these reader questions that we've received. Um, we've kind of looked at these ahead of time and we've got our answers um, for you guys. Before we get into that though, Cody, I know you've been keeping track of the media days that have been happening across college football. Each of the conferences kind of put on their their circus of a media media day gathering. Sometimes those involve players. A lot of times it's coaches kind of giving a stump speech and then doing a little bit of Q and A, um, you know, in front of the local or regional media. Um, the SEC really kicked this off, and I think every year that thing grows. Um, I don't know how many people they have from the press attending this year, but it's probably numbering in the hundreds. Uh, but there were a couple of events that came out this one that made some national waves that I feel like could impact the sport um, throughout, kind of representative of issues elsewhere. Um, and those were the comments of Mississippi State coach Dan Mullen and then Ole Miss coach Hugh Freeze. And uh, I don't know, Cody, can you, what are you taking away from, from what's coming out of Hoover and what were kind of some of the like, top, top of the news headlines there? Yeah, it, it, you look at Auburn, Alabama, and then the two Mississippi schools. But uh, in terms of arrest and, and things that went wrong in the offseason, now this isn't specific to the SEC, but it just so happened that a lot of these things um, happen in the SEC. Right. We're talking about Mississippi State uh, and Coach Dan Mullen have, having to get up on the podium and take questions about the one-game suspension. Now let me lay this out. One-game suspension for uh, their five-star recruit, Jeffrey Simmons. He's a five-star defensive end. This was back in March. He's caught on film on film, uh, hitting a, hitting a girl, uh, literally using her head as a punching bag. And, you know, a lot of things could have happened. He could have been, uh, you know, had to go to Juco for a year. He could have, Mississippi state could have parted ways with him. They could have done a lot of things, but they gave him a one game suspension, one game. And I mean, that's the same. This has been thrown out a lot, but it's the same as a targeting penalty to hit a woman. And, and what kind of message does that send to the other Mississippi state players to, you know, the, the other college athletes, you, you hit a woman, one, 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 one game suspension. It's, it's ridiculous. It goes beyond uh, laughable. It's, it's horrible. And, and the thing about it is, too, it's, it's on the hills of all these things going on in the greater world of college football. And we've seen how uh, at Baylor, how you, if you don't make the right decision uh, and you keep making the wrong decision and you build a culture of that, these incremental decisions can really be catastrophic, not to the football program, but to the community around it, the, the women, uh, in, in the case of Penn State, the children, Anyway, I, I just want to be above that when we, when we when we talk about you know doling out punishment. You look at Dabo, and he's at, he has a really good record of swift justice. Yep. Look at Deion Kane. You know, we probably we had a great chance of winning the national championship if Deion Kane plays for us. 
And if uh, we were an SEC school, he probably would have played for us, but he didn't. And, and you know, we lost and it hurt us. But I, I want to be a, a team and a fan who contributes. Like, I'm, I want to hold our coaches accountable for punishing our players accordingly. Um, let me let me really quickly, too, I'll, I'll go into the, the other uh, incidents, which was um, the Auburn guys, Gus Malzon, you know, a couple of uh, their big, big players. Weren't they pot busts? Yeah, it was. I think in that case it was med- it was not medical, but I'm sorry, marijuana possession, no suspension. You look back a few years ago, Sammy Watkins was, you know, punished two games for that same same very thing, and one of the one of those first games was against Auburn. Um, and then you look at Alabama with Cam Robinson, and uh, I think I can't remember the other football player's name, but a very good player, uh, and they had gun charges and marijuana possession, and. Uh, they're, they're, they're not even, Nick Saban's not even going to suspend them at all, not touching it. And the prosecutor in Louisiana, and it was their hometown in Louisiana, so that makes a little bit of sense, but not even going to touch it. It's just interesting to me that, yes, there's an academic institution component here, like you, you're, you play for a university, and they have their own kind of administration and everything, but if any of this goes down in the NBA, for instance, like how poorly does this reflect on college football? Like if there were sort of this strong, centralized governing body and there technically is one in the NCAA, but I mean, it's just become a laughing stock and a joke. When they investigate schools, they let Miami off the hook, they let North Carolina off. You know, you can mention several others around the country. It seems like Penn State was reinstated to bowl status, you know, years before they were originally intended to after that Sandusky stuff. It just seems like NCAA is toothless, really. Um, but in, if any of this stuff was happening in the NBA, uh, you would definitely see. Um, you know, again, like swift justice, there's very clear rules, regulations, laws um, in place there. And, you know, when, when you give a Dan Mullen or their athletic department a chance to, you know, give a guy a slap on the wrist, they're going to do that because it's in their best interest to win football games. That's his priority. That's his prerogative. Um, where are, where does the NCAA kind of be consistent? Or I don't even know if it's them that's going to be able to do this, well, but it I, seems like there's... There's I'm been not a lot surprised, of, I guess. Right, and, and that's maybe the thing is like there needs to be some kind of intervention with – is it the NCAA? Is it the actual institution itself? Because when it's when left up to the college coach to make this decision, he's oftentimes going to do what's in the best interest of the football team and winning that first football game. You know, a common denominator I think in almost every uh, every one of these – at least at least I know for Nick Saban and – and uh, Gus Malzahn, they're playing a really good opponent. Uh, obviously, Auburn's got us, and then uh, Nick Saban's got USC, Southern California, who are looking maybe to have a, a, a better year this year. Um, and as Alabama's getting in some new guys in the roster, they need to be at full force. So, yeah, you, you talk about NCAA stepping in. I don't know who it is, but I think we've gotten to the point where clearly we can't allow, uh, we can't allow college coaches to dole out their own punishment because they don't, they don't do it. And I mean, in this case, they're like not even acknowledging – Something happened and, and willing to suspend for one game. That's it's becoming laughable. I, I mean, I can't think of a, another way to say it. Yep. I mean, you know, the way that we as fans can not put up with this or tolerate it is to not support the product, not watch the games, not give them what they want. And unfortunately, and you know, you could say the same thing with things like concussions and what the effect long term that that's having on players. And um, it's tough. You know, we love this sport, we love this game as fans and spectators, but there's a lot of ugliness. 
it's, and it's kind of, I guess that's the part of it. It's, it's getting out of control in certain circles. And what, what is our contribution as fans? And I think as it relates to being a Clemson fan, you know, we, I can't do much for Alabama, but as a Clemson fan, you know, we care a lot. We do a, we do a podcast. We obviously care a lot, but we can also demand, you know, we're, we're the stockholders. We're the, we're ultimately the people that the coaching staff, the administration will have to answer to. So mm-hmm. I think we demand justice whenever Deion Kane gets caught smoking pot or, mm-hmm. you know, Eamon, Eamon Lakeup, you know, gets caught with cocaine possession. Right. We, we demand justice yep. and we demand, you know, a punishment to set the example. So you don't get situations like Baylor or Penn State potentially where these incremental bad decisions and putting football over what's right really can spiral out of control and, and lead to some really, really negative repercussions and, and hurt people within the community, which is like the worst case scenario. Yep. I mean, what gives me comfort then, I guess, is we've made the right hires, you know, Dabo, Brad Brown, Al, et cetera. We've had very limited and minor incidents. You know, generally the trouble our guys have gotten into has been pretty much like self-inflicted, you know, drug type stuff. So anyway, um, Dabo <laughs> seems like the right leader. Yeah, and I'm saying, yeah, I just wanted to rant. Yeah, it's very good to have Dabo. I'm not saying he's perfect. He, sure. he, I'm sure you know, but he's from what we've seen, he does. He's made great decisions, and he puts life and and doing what's right above football. So good, good for that, and we should demand that. So um, just wanted to rant on that because it it, it makes me mad when I, you see that what's happened in Baylor and, and women get hurt and, and you know things before that. Um, anyway, so the other part of the SEC media day that I wanted to talk about was um, I think it's interesting how these group of writers who we, we've monitored closely um, throughout the offseason, and they have you know, varying opinions on teams like, like LSU. You know, are, they, are they a legitimate title contender? Are they, um, are they a top 15 team? Are they like, more like last year? Uh, Tennessee, are they going to emerge as finally the SEC East favorite? Anyway, you put all these writers in the room, and they, they, like, group think tends to, to come out of it, and these certain narratives start to come out of it. And what I saw, uh, I think LSU is looked at, people are really bullish on them. They're bullish on Brandon Harris, maybe getting over the hump, their quarterback. Uh, Tennessee. We've heard a lot about Fournette. I mean, in our preseason, in our, you know, way too early top 25, we, we profiled that, I think like two or three episodes ago. People have LSU in their top five, even top three. Um, Tennessee is certainly right there. A, lo- a lot of people think yeah, LSU will overtake Bama and the game is, I believe it's in, Death Valley at LSU's Death Valley. So um, that's something interesting. I think Tennessee, like a lot of people, they've been, I guess you could say bad or underperforming expectations for a long time, but this is the year. Uh, a lot of writers feel like they are the team to beat in the SEC East. And, and Florida and Georgia just probably won't be able to keep up. Um, interestingly, the uh, South Carolina is looked at as maybe the worst team in the SEC behind Vanderbilt. But um, I, I wanted to take that, though. You know, we want to talk about SEC too much longer. Let's, like, translate that into what will come up very soon at the ACC Media Day and maybe a predict- prediction because right now it's very similar in terms of FSU, Clemson. I've seen writers pick both uh, games in Tallahassee. But I, I tend to think coming out of the ACC Media Day, one team will emerge as a clear front runner. And what would be – I guess give me your front runner – and give me your sleeper team that will that will come out. Uh, I mean, I front runner. Do you mean just overall in the ACC? Is it, I mean, yeah. is it going to be FSU or Clemson's? Um, I personally, I mean, I, I think it is Clemson's at this point. I, I won't say it's ours to lose until FSU comes and takes it because you know they have been. 
Well, I mean, what's the, the what, what, what's the narrative the writers are going to come out with? Mm. Less less so your opinion. Oh, good point. I mean, I think they're going to go with Clemson's got the Heisman hopeful and Deshaun Watson. You know, he's the X factor. I think it's going to be that. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll kind of be the, if you will, the favorite um, in among the writers. Yeah, I do believe it's going to be Clemson. Now, I think more so the narrative is going to be like that game is going to be of the utmost importance. Those two. I think that's really going to be what we hear about, um, but I think they will probably lean toward us, which, yeah. and I don't know that that's necessarily fair. I mean, Florida State is super stacked. They're thin and short at quarterback. They've got to replace that, but almost throughout their roster elsewhere, you know, they're, they've got, you know, tons of depth and they reloaded very much in recruiting this year. So um, anyway, I think that's maybe it from the front runner standpoint. And then from a dark horse, um, I mean, we're already kind of seeing interest and adoration for Miami which to me is, I mean, I, I see that as being the, that's the writers, the bias. They're, they're going to be on the Mark Rick train as a new hire. He's going to come in with um, some of Al Golden's recruits, do a lot with them. He's brought in enough of his own guys to make a mark. He's got his, his coaching staff joining. So I see those guys being as like the, the sexy pick coming out of the coastal. Um, when in reality, I personally think it should be Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente that should be the, really. I, I kind of see them as the coastal favorite. Person. Wow, over North Carolina and Miami, mm-hmm. and maybe even Georgia Tech, who seems to be like on a seesaw every year. Yeah, they're definitely back and forth. So anyway, well, how about what are you thinking? I I'd probably I would uh, I don't I don't want to call North Carolina a sleeper at this point because I don't think they would be. I think they're probably the favorite. Um, I think I mean maybe Louisville Louisville, um, mm-hmm. but. It's almost in my mind like the, you have the, the upper class of the ACC with Florida State and Clemson, and, and then a huge gap. But I think Louisville is the next best team, and then even in the next tier would be your kind of middle class, or maybe your upper middle class, North Carolina, Miami, and uh, and potentially Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. So anyway, I, I'm probably going Louisville, and I think they could actually get into the upper class with, with Clemson this year. They're, I think they're that good. Mm-hmm. Bobby Petrino is that good of a coach. Yep. So I don't know if that's what's going to happen. When we leave ACC Media Day, I think it's going to be Deshaun Watson. Like, and people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. That was the quarterback that torched Alabama yeah. in, the, in, in the championship game. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go with Florida State because I don't know about Unproven. their quarterback situation. Right. Exactly. Uh, Clemson seems like a much safer pick, and I think yeah. that'll be – uh, where we have like this 50-50 split where the writers, I don't know who to pick. I think it'll be firmly Clemson uh, after the media day. Well, and it all depends how we handle our business against Auburn and Louisville. Going all throughout the season, what, what does the like snowball narrative effect look like nationally and within kind of ACC circles? But I almost see, I hope we're sort of in a way the underdog going into that game. But I, I kind of foresee if, if both teams are undefeated, they might be kind of more on the, more on the Clemson side. But we'll see. Right. And I think last year too, I think there was a similar 50-50, whereas like we're now we're talking about top two, top four, top five teams. I think last year it was, we were both top 15 and, but still neck and neck. And I think after media day, uh, people got more on the, on the Clemson bandwagon. Similar thing now, but the stakes are obviously a lot higher. Definitely. Um, well, enough, enough of my questions, I guess. Uh, why don't we get into what our readers submitted? Um, do you want to get us going with our first one? Let's do it. So um, we have Andy in North Augusta. So besides Clemson-bound recruits, what is Tennessee's greatest export? <laughs> oh, man. Um, we should talk about one of those exports, which are their 
you know, bevy of recruits they sent us. So thank you, Tennessee, for that. Um, <laughs> to answer this question seriously, I mean, probably the music scene and culture in Nashville. But um, I don't know. Jack Daniels, what do you think? I, I was thinking, yeah, Bourbon. Uh, Bourbon's Kentucky, though. That's Kentucky, yeah. So, yeah. And, and Dollywood is not an export, so. Right, that's a stay put <laughs> kind of deal. All right. Good music. Maybe moving on to the yeah. next question. That is a, is a serious question. So Allison in Traveler's Rest, good old TR. What does T. Higgins' commitment mean for Clemson, and how good can he be? And then a side question, can he be better than Sammy Watkins? So, uh, good question. Uh, T. Higgins' commitment was on the 4th of July. Huge, huge commitment. Uh, I think people are more excited about this than most, and probably right, rightfully so. I think... You know, well, where does he profile for you? I know she mentioned kind of the Sammy Watkins comparison, and that's probably just as like a stud playmaker receiver, you know, that we... The latest one, I guess, that you can say um, that's gone into the league. I mean, obviously, there have been others drafted since. But anyway, you know, do you see his style as a receiver emulating Sammy? Or is there maybe someone else top of mind for our listeners that yeah, that's compare him I to? think that's the better. Yeah, like stylistically, what's his skill set? Who does it mirror? Um, and I think the comparison, the common comparison is Martavis Bryant, just because of, of size and, and speed and that kind of makeup. But I, I would say that, yeah, he does have a similar makeup in terms of being a very athletic, bigger target receiver, but also the ball skills, I think, that are well beyond Martavis Bryant's. I, I think by the, time when he, by the time he steps foot in Clemson next year, he'll be probably a better receiver than Martavis ever was at Clemson. And that's nothing against you know Martavis. It's just how good T. Higgins is. So you're talking about a 6'4 guy. And he, that's without you know, getting into the hands of a coach like Jeff Scott, who can continue to develop him his skills and talents, et cetera, which we've seen Jeff Scott, you know, take a guy like New Hopkins, you know, to the next level and look what he's doing in the league now. Right. Um, and so that's exciting. I mean, just that he's going to profile as or as good or better than Martavis coming in. I think so. And I don't, and I don't think that's hyperbole. And, you know, he's, again, he's got a catch radius that's radius. That's just huge. Um, he's going to make those plays. And I would, I would almost compare him to Mike Williams a little bit and just, winning those 50-50 balls, being able to high point the ball. Um, something that we've, you know, just having good ball skills. Uh, he's, you know, he also plays basketball. You see that a lot from basketball players. They just, they know how to get the ball, redirect their body. Um, he's got that. He's very, very fast for a 6'4 guy. He's a lot faster than Mike Williams. He, he kind of, he's deceptively fast because his strides are so long. I don't see him being like the Sammy Watkins type where it's yards after the catch, making guys miss in the open field. I don't know if he has that much wiggle. Mm-hmm. But just in terms of talk about red zone efficiency, a weakness last year, and how much a guy like Mike Williams can really be a shot in the arm there. Well, that's what T. Higgins can bring. But um, all-around wide receiver, some yards after the catch, some playmaking ability, but just in terms of being a true target, uh, I think he's going to be right up there by the time he leaves. Probably a three-year player, probably just as good as Nuke, potentially as good as, as Sammy. Yeah, it's awesome. Huge shot in the arm. Um continuing you know what's already a great pedigree wide receiver for Clemson I think what he may he may have his work cut out for him to have the type of impact Sammy had as a freshman just because we will have a pretty full stable wide receiver you know skill players uh, when he comes in as a freshman in 2017 but um, I think he's certainly going to have quarterback talent there I think yeah that's a good point because Sammy was thrust right in there we were very didn't have a whole lot of wide receivers when he came in but I think T. Higgins is a guy, even though we do a lot of shuffling, you know, three and three and three, um, 
I think he's a guy that's just going to be hard to keep him off the field. I think Mike Williams will be a hard guy to keep off the field, and, and T. Higgins will, will do the same. In the next year. In yep. the next year, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, thank you, Allison. Uh, moving on to our next question. This is from John H. in Chapin. Are Clemson fans concerned at all about neglecting recruitment in the state of South Carolina? Looks like y'all only have one commitment from the state in 2017. Yeah, I would say no. I'm not concerned about it. Uh, Logan Rudolph is that is that guy. Um, the, the truth of the matter is we've neglected South Carolina a little bit, but it's not so much us purposefully doing that. It's it's just the talent hasn't been there. Um, Will Muschamp is, for whatever reason, slinging mud um, at certain guys. I, and maybe it's it's trying to break, break down the... I guess the relationship with high school coaches. So whenever the good guys do come in, you know, from time to time, mm. uh, maybe that relationship's not there, and they'll give more priority to Will Muschamp. But the truth yeah, of the matter takes, is, if he takes a coach's three star now, will he get first priority for fours and fives in a couple years time? And that's the name of the game, you know, building out right. those pipelines, building the trust in the coaches. But I, I think the college coaches—that's uh, something we do a good job. I'm sorry, the high school coaches is something we do a good job of in that relationship building. And uh, you look at 2018. There are a couple of guys that um, Xavier Thomas, who showed out in the in the uh, what's the opening. He's a 2018 guy out of I think he's from Florence, but just a tr- might be the number one player in the class, maybe the best prospect from South Carolina since since Clowney. And uh, Clemson's right there in the mix. So I think it's more of um, you can't take these three star guys anymore early in the process when you've got four star guys late in the process that you can very much secure their commitment. And you saw that last year with Trayvon Mullen out of Florida, with uh, Kevon Wallace out of Virginia. So it's like, in previous years, we would play it safe, take that three-star guy, um, and then you, before you know it, you fill up your class really quickly, and you, and you, you can't go after a four-star guy. So I think, it, I think it, no, it doesn't hurt us. Yeah, we only have one South Carolina commit. Um, Will Mustamp can continue slinging mud if he wants. I don't I, think it's going to yeah. hurt us long-term. I think it just ebbs and flows year to year. Like this past year, we took 22 guys overall. Four were from the state. You know, that's under a 20% rate. We may not get to 20% in 2017. And maybe that's based on the talent we saw met with the needs we've, our, our guys, our, our team has had. Um, just right. going where the, where the players are that we need. Right. Um, and it is, it is a thing of need too. You're right about that. Or Trey Smith, I think, is the one guy who we're talking about wide receiver where we, we just recruit the best. Um, and we're talking about a top 100 guy at some point that we were slow playing. Um, and I think ultimately he will come to Clemson. We'll know on September, I think 11th is his birthday. So um, anyway, yeah, it, it ebbs and flows from year to year. I think we're, we're in just just okay, or just fine shape in terms of in-state, though. The relationships well, are still there. Let the Gamecock fans have one thing, maybe. <laughs> yeah. This year, at least. Yeah. Um, next question. This was a fun one. Um, this is from Randall and Florence. Hypothetical world where baseball trade deadline type approach applies in college football. Um, Dabo has offered any player of his choosing from another team this season, uh, but must be willing to give up a future recruit in a trade. Cody, who would you target if you're Dabo? That's I love the question, first of all, because it's kind of like a, a baseball package deal where you have to you have to go in for the championship now and you probably have to Yeah, Clemson's in win now mode. You know, we might be yeah. willing to mortgage a little bit of talent for the future um, to, to f- fill a position in need this year. That's kind of how I looked at it. 
I know that's exactly. And you look at the Braves, like they're in that sell now mode <laughs> yeah. as opposed to buy. And, you know, oftentimes they come away, they, uh, they come away with a better deal, a better uh, package of prospects. So uh, we'd probably have to overpay, but I'm looking at a guy like my, my guy I think would be, I'd want to get a cornerback, maybe a safety, but I'm looking at like Jalen Tarber out of Florida and kind of in the, in the theme of this uh, hypothetical our uh, question, I, I would say, too, he's got two years of eligibility left. So it's kind of like I got a guy on uh, two years of team control. Right. And who am I giving up? Like, I think you might have to go in with Hunter Johnson. I mean, I, I, two years of a lockdown corner for really, really, uh, I don't know. It'd be really hard to part ways with Hunter Johnson. Certainly would, but there's no guarantee that, you know, yes, he's five-star and, you know, getting all types of accolades coming out of, uh, the opening and the elite eleven already, but he is not a sure thing. We've had you know a lot of confidence in the past with five star recruits that at quarterback that have not panned out. So if you can kind of get a known quantity at a position of need, I mean we got to get a ring, right? And this year with Deshaun Watson in his final season, likely at Clemson, you know if you can if you can patch up that secondary and lock that down, like maybe you are willing to take a shot and you know give up the Hunter Johnson type. We've got Chase Bryce. We've got a stable of other guys that have come on campus already or will be joining us, you know, any day now um, when fall practice starts. Anyway, yeah. Right, right now you're going to have to overpay, and you're talking about a championship. Uh, you know what I mean? It's we're, we're we're right there, right in the right in the right in the mix. I, mean, we're, I don't know that you we're can last say year. we're one secondary player away from being the best team in the country. We may be the best team in the country now, and we may be that's true years years going forward with Hunter Johnson, but. And Mark um, Fields, uh, who might, who will probably be playing opposite of Tankersley, is not a bad player. He's certainly got a lot of talent, and he may turn some heads, uh, you know, come the fall. Yep. But yeah, I think yeah. if I was going to go any direction other than corner, and I don't have a name necessarily, but um, you know, maybe one of Alabama's heavies on the defensive end position, you know, that can that has has, first of all, they're giant humans, but beyond that, has you know proven experience, and can show our upcoming defensive ends, you know, the ropes. Uh, sort of play that shot loss and roll this year would be amazing to an amazing shot in the arm for this team right the defensive end I mean we we feel pretty good about it the coach because the coaches feel pretty good about it but I wouldn't be surprised at all if you know at some point we're having to move Christian Wilkins out to the strong side defensive end so yep. um, yeah I mean that's it's a really good question it makes you think about it um, I, I think it, it kind of goes in the same vein as uh, J- Skalski, our, our incoming linebacker, and if we could put him on the kickoff unit, but you're essentially burning a red shirt. And I say do it because it's... Win now, man. Win now. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know four years, I guess it would be five years from now during his red shirt senior year, if he'll be a uh, you know a great player, if we'll be in contention for a championship then. So yep. let's, let's put him on that unit if he can kick it through the end zone. Absolutely. Good question there. I'll, I'll go to the next one. So... Uh, cool. Let's say uh, it's Ryan and Anderson, South Carolina. How do you function as a Clemson fan living in California? Kick it to you, Tully. Yeah, um, so I'm I'm the old man of the group. I've lived ha- out here on the West Coast. Um, I moved to Seattle right after graduating. Uh, moved there in 2003, so it's been almost 13 years since I've been out here. Um, and I'll say, I mean, it's there's some. It took a while to adjust, and it took a while to really get back in the groove of paying attention to Clemson football and Clemson athletics as a as an alum, because um, it you know it is challenging. You know, where it's not necessarily a part of the country that's um, as crazy about college football as we were in the southeast when I was going to school there. Um, so I think you know the advent of 
you know, social media, the internet, streaming video, you know, YouTube, being able to watch highlights and recruiting film, all that stuff has definitely made it easier. Um, it's, it's made it feel like, you know, there's not that huge 3000 mile divide. Um, but what I'll say is like, you know, even just the atmosphere out here and now I'm in San Francisco. Yes, we're in Stanford country, but I can tell you guys the average person walking down the street of San Francisco or Oakland here doesn't really care about Stanford or college football. Um, so you, you know, you, you kind of find your friends and, you know, people you work with that do care about college football and you kind of have to work a little bit to get those conversations in. Um, but I think, you know, when you do find that group and for us, it's been our Clemson alumni group out here. Um, you know, you, you really band together generally, you know, you know, when you're not necessarily surrounded everywhere by a bunch of graduates. So I'd say my immediate answer to that is you do have to try, you know, we try hard 9am, you know, sometimes noon games for y'all is 9am kickoffs for us and getting to the bar by nine to watch with our friends can be challenging. Uh, but you know, it's worth it and it's fun. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The, the first, the first year that we, put the Clemson alumni group together out here in San Francisco. Uh, it, it was just, it was amazing because you're like, what am I going to do during football season? Cause I'm not going to be able to go to many games, if any at all. Um, am I at least going to be able to enjoy it with other people? Or am I going to be relegated to watching it with my girlfriend who went to Auburn and doesn't really care about Clemson yeah. football. So uh, I guess you're saying you're, you're a smaller subset of the population. Uh, absolutely. But like, it almost means more because you band together and that there's that solidarity. And yeah, now if, you, if you're not part of an alumni group, uh, wherever, if you're living in a big city, uh, form it, it's great. And it, and it serves the purpose of watching Clemson football games with someone you care about. But also uh, there's a lot of good things that come out of it. Charity uh, stuff we do. And mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we do uh, fundraisers, donations and things of that nature. So anyhow, it's not so bad. Nine o'clock games aren't so bad either. Yeah. I mean, even the afternoon or evening games they're over at a reasonable hour so it doesn't take up your whole day um but yeah i mean it also i would say you know just what's interesting anytime i'm like walking walking down the street or walking through an airport you know my eyes kind of train to look for the paw and look for orange and you know you kind of get excited and you say go tigers uh, when you pass somebody i don't know that that would happen if i was like living in atlanta for instance Right, right. Yeah, just a lot of Georgia, a lot of Clemson. No, no big surprise. But yeah, I've, I have totally been driving down the street in San Francisco and I see someone uh, um, have a, that has a Clemson shirt on. I roll down the window and I scream, Go Tigers! Yeah. Every time. Freak someone out if you did that in, Green, <laughs> in Greenville, for instance. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that in Greenville. Like yeah, it. exactly. Next question comes to us from at TigerStyle81 on Twitter. I'm giving you $100 to wager. How much do you bet on Clemson at eight to one odds to win the national championship? And who else do you bet on? Uh, so these, I, I looked up the odds to kind of be able to compare where we stand. Uh, so Clemson is indeed eight to one to win the Natty. So that's you know hundred dollars bet you win. You, let's say we put all the hundred into that, we win eight hundred back. Um, to put into context, there a year ago Clemson was twenty two to one to win it all. And granted, you know we were about. I don't know, 12th, 15th in the nation coming into the last season. Um, depending on who you trust, who you listen to, who you read, you know, we're in the top five this year going in. Some have us at number one, some at number five. We're in there in that range. Um, Alabama is the favorite at this point at seven to one. We're right there, neck and neck with Ohio State at eight to one. Michigan's next at 10 to one. Um, so I don't, to answer the question immediately, I mean, yeah, I think Clemson may well be the best team in the country. We may be the most likely to win. 
um, or we might be among the best two. Eight to one in a field of, you know, I could, I'd say anywhere from five to 10 teams could win it all. Eight to one's pretty good. I don't think I'd put the full hundred on that. Um, and I'll talk about that in a minute where else I might spread those dollars. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Clemson at eight to one. Um, for the people that don't understand what that means, one dollar, for every one dollar, you get eight dollars. So um, I like that. And I think if you look at college football over the last, I don't know how many years, but uh, there hasn't really been a surprise team. Clemson actually would have been probably the biggest surprise team last year had they won uh, coming at coming in at like the 13th or 12th ranked team coming in. Yep. So yeah, if you have a hundred bucks and you can spread it out over three teams, four teams, I think it's, uh, I definitely, I like Clemson. I mean, I, I'm, I would be, obviously my bias would be put into it and I would probably put 50% of that on Clemson, but then I'd spread it out uh, for the, for over a few more teams. And yeah, eight to one, not bad at all. And I think Vegas has given us the respect that, I mean, we are probably the first or second best team in the nation. Um, and the way they look at it too, when you look at Ohio State being at eight to one, the same odds as Clemson, they don't really think Ohio State is that good. It's right. just that they're, like you said, their they're alumni base is yeah, they're, huge. They're, a, they're what's called a public team. And they're probably going to get bets no matter what on Ohio State. Same with Alabama. Alabama's there, Michigan's there as well. And granted, these are good teams. I mean, if those teams were decimated and, you know, had, had some sanctions coming on, they would not be eight to one. But the fact that, you know, each of them, you know, they're, they're definitively top 10 teams. They know they're going to get a ton of money. So they're going to give kind of worse odds. Right. And so you got to think about it like that. And then uh, eight to one, that's pretty good. Let me ask you this. Do you think Clemson's odds over the offseason when I think uh, when sports writers can kind of build a narrative on a team, do you see it getting better um, between now and September the 3rd or getting worse for Clemson? Very good question. Um, I, think I mean, I guess the question stays... bet now or bet later. Yeah, no, totally good call. I'd say they're unlikely to get... Um, you know, too much lower, meaning like they're not going to go to like five to one or worse. Um, so I would say you can wait at this point, see what happens, you know, knock on wood, but injuries do happen, that kind of thing. I don't think there's anything that could happen that's going to like vault us into like the lead national favorite role. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's a good, it can only, unfortunately, it can only get worse. Right. So um, but who else? Who else is yeah. a good bet in your opinion? Kind of looking through. So, yeah, I mean... I would have liked Michigan, but 10 to 1 is just not enough for me. Um, I yeah. think, I hate to say it, but FSU, because they do have, they do have a much tougher schedule than us. They're at 12 to 1. Um, but I, I could see them coming out, and I, I like those odds. I also like Tennessee, and I think they're, they've actually become more and more of the, the media's favorite um, as like the sleeper pick. So I think they went from like 16 to 1. Now they're at like 12 to 1 or 14 to 1. Mm -hmm. But I, I still like them. I, I mean, it, they are really good on both sides of the ball. When I was watching Oklahoma film last year and Alabama film last year, I mean, Tennessee was a good team to watch because they were similar to us because they were so, really, they were so good in the trenches. They had playmakers on the outside. Josh Dobbs is a, uh, is a poor man's version of Deshaun Watson, but like he, he has that playmaking ability where he can scramble a little bit, um, which might be the recipe to beat Alabama in a potential uh, SEC championship game. So, uh, I think I'd like Tennessee as like the one sleeper pick. I'm not. I'm probably not going beyond like, you know, like twenty to one or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Who do you have? I mean, for me, I I kind of if if you were to try to take like a twenty to one, um, Notre Dame 
and I'm not saying I think Notre Dame is going to win at all. I'm not saying I think they're better than anybody ahead of them or Clemson, but I feel like Notre Dame, if you look at their schedule, all of their hard games are played at home. And, you know, they play Southern Cal, they play a couple other schools there um, at home. They play Stanford there also. So uh, they get Deshaun Kaiser back. Yes, they graduated and put some dudes into the draft, but ND, you know, they've got a manageable schedule and they get that, they, you know, they get the benefit of maybe they're always a few points ahead of where they should be or a few ranking spots ahead of where they should be. That's going to help them potentially get into the playoff. And when you're in that, you know, small sample size, you know, anything can happen and they can be there. So at 20 to one, they could be decent money. That's actually, that's a good pick because like you said, their schedule is super, super easy. And, and, but they do have good talent. They do have a good quarterback. That's another part of it. Winning a championship, you have a good offensive line and a good quarterback. You never know. Uh, there's also the component of what if you get hot there at the end, kind of like Ohio state did a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. actually, if I'm going to a 21, it's probably, it's probably uh yeah, you're not going to put the majority of your 100 on a, on a long shot like that. but <laughs> It, it know, might be five bucks. Yeah, a few bucks here and there. Um, yeah. I want to talk about some WTF uh, odds that they have out there, though. Like they're, these, these odds are way too – they don't pay out enough, um, if you're asking me. Okay. And that's – they've still got Baylor and Iowa, two teams that absolutely will not repeat their performance um, of last year, this year. Uh, they're both at 16 to 1. So Baylor, we know – you know, they've had an exodus of talent from their program coming off of Art Bryles firing or dismissal or, you know, retirement, whatever you want to call it. And then um, Iowa, I just, I don't see them catching lightning in a bottle yet another year. They played the easiest possible schedule in the Big Ten last year. Um, they needed to pull a rabbit out of a hat multiple times to get through that schedule. And then they just, you know, they they just lost to Michigan State in that heartbreaking way um, in that Big Ten title game. But Anyway, those are pretty lousy bets. I wouldn't lay I, any money on those. I agree, and I'm I'm curious as to are are that many. I mean, outside of uh, Waco, Texas, and wherever Iowa is, I guess Iowa City. Yep. Um, are, is anyone is the betting public betting on them to push the line down? So I'm really confused by that. Yeah, horrible, horrible bet. Uh, some gambling advice: don't bet for the, Don't bet on them. Um, but maybe last last piece on the, on the wagering. Um, I think a couple of good bets here, and if you want to pick. Maybe if Vegas likes those schools, you should bet the under on their win totals for the season. That's kind of the way to counter, um, counter what you know where people think they're going to finish. But I actually feel like the Clemson win totals is an interesting wager. Um, what is it again? Ten and a half to one. Ten and a half. So they. Or, I'm sorry. Ten and a half wins. So they have to um, win eleven. So they can only lose one game. Exactly. So you're basically betting on them. Not if you bet for them, not losing two games. Yeah. So I, I like the over in that scenario. I think, you know, if we lose, and this is in the regular season, this is, you know, games, this is Auburn through South Carolina game. Um, you know, I think maximum one loss is probably likely for this team. So um, I'm a big fan of that that wager. That pays about even odds. So a dollar in, you get a dollar back in yeah. winnings. Um, I like that one. Yeah, much less of a payoff. But, I mean, it, I think that's a, a great pick. Um for for Clemson, if you if you do want to make a safer pick, for sure. I can't. I, I just don't see two losses on the schedule. Assuming everyone's in good health, or you know Deshaun Watson's in good health, absolutely. I can see a loss at Florida State, but uh, it's just it's really tough to find that second loss on the schedule. Yep. Um, and we've got time here for one last question. I think this stays in the vein of talking about national teams and um, Clemson's national title hopes. This one comes from Tim in Atlanta. 
of the contenders in the preseason top 10, who would you like Clemson to face in the semifinals and final game? And as a follow-up, who would you not like to face or who scares us? My answer for who we would like to, I would want Clemson to face would be Michigan. Two reasons. One, beating Jim Harbaugh would be amazing. It would help maybe a little bit in recruiting. It would be a, you know, a statement to the nation that, you know, hey, we're better than Michigan. Um, and, you know, to kind of put him in his place, his, his antics are kind of over the top. Rashawn Gary, too. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think Rash- I feel bad for Rashawn Gary. He should be, <laughs> he should be wearing orange and purple. But yeah. I don't think it's, I, I, yeah. it's one more storyline or angle to that would yeah. be matchup. So, uh, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I see that. I would say them though, but also the the other part of it is I think they're not as good as Clemson this year. I don't. I think they're they they've got to replace a lot of talent. I don't see them being a uh, a juggernaut. I think you know. Don't get me wrong. I think Harbaugh's gonna gonna have them in the elite for a long time or as long as he's there. But I don't see them being there yet. So for one, we beat them. Our brand against their brand, we win. And, uh, and you know, we're I generally think we have more talent than them. Yeah, I think my, my answer, and I don't necessarily have two here, I'm, I'm totally fine beating, out, uh, beating Michigan. Let's call that the semifinal game. I'd love to have a rematch with Alabama um, in the national title game. Uh, that would be played in Florida, so I'm thinking we'd have much more representation from both schools than this past year in Arizona. Uh, but what a way for us to get, get a title uh, would be to vanquish the team that beat us the year previous, kind of pull a Cavaliers over the Warriors. Um, yeah, I'd love to, love to get Bama and Saban one more time. Um, I, I do believe Alabama is going to be worse off this year. I'm not sure how much worse, but we'll see if they make it through there. We'll see if they win the SEC West and the SEC in their semifinal game. Um, but I think you know it's tough to tough to rule them out at this point. Right, and I, they have talent all over the field, and obviously they they have a recruiting machine that just doesn't let up. So it's it's kind of like you think of Clemson putting in next man up. Well, they they put in four four star or five star guys, you know, fill in those gaps and. I guess the one thing about Alabama where I think they will take a small step back is uh, the things that they were so elite at, which was in the interior line. They'll, yeah, they'll, be, they'll still be damn good. They just won't be historically good. And then I think they leaned on uh, Derrick Henry a whole lot to get them through the SEC in that rugged schedule. Not saying that uh, they're going to take a huge step back at running back, but it, I can't see it being as good as it was this year. And uh, a team that I'm afraid of, uh, or a team that I would not want to play, and I'm starting to become more and more bullish and act like literally fearful of the upside of LSU. And to some degree, uh, FSU, because of the same reason, because there is a huge question mark at, at quarterback for, for both teams. But I guess throughout their roster, throughout their depth chart, there's talent all over the place, like really good players. LSU has talent, and Leonard Fournette, who is uh, don't don't underestimate this guy for the Heisman. He's good as Deshaun Watson is because he is a freak talent. Um, so if if Brandon Harris, their quarterback, gets it together, I mean that's a team that's going to be whew, it's going to be scary to play. Same with FSU if if Francois is their guy at quarterback and he can come in and be a, a poor man's Jameis Winston. Again, playing them in Tallahassee, yeah, that that scares me. It, mm-hmm. it would probably scare me on a neutral field in the in a playoff. So yeah. there's yeah. When I thought about this, like, you know, the who scares me or who could expose Clemson, um, I actually looked at a team that most, most fans are not going to think of, and I actually look at Houston. Um, so they play Louisville. I think they play, um, they play one other reasonably tough team. I think they might play OU. They play oh, yeah, Oklahoma. yeah, it's Oklahoma, right. Um, 
they win both those games and run the table in the AAC, you know, they, they could very much be in the playoff if things break right for them. Um, the reason they give me pause, Tom Herman is their head coach. He was the architect of that Ohio State National Championship team who everyone remembers they, they ran through, you know, three quarterbacks, you know, two, two backups and still were able to uh, dominate a great Alabama defense. You know, what would they do with a Clinton? You know, and again, he doesn't have that same talent at Houston as he had at Ohio State, but you give him that much time to prepare uh, both for a national championship game or a semifinal game, you know, that's scary. Um, and they also downed, you know, and, and again, he was the offensive coordinator of that Ohio State team, but they handled a very athletic, very off- potent offense in um, Oregon who had Heisman winner Marcus Mariota, and they just ran them off the field. So, um, you know, I would definitely, you know, be a, l- a little concerned playing Houston, really any team that has a, a solid quarterback and a solid offense that could expose, you know, some lack of depth and lack of experience in a Clemson defense. And, and you saw it in Alabama, and they, they did not come in uh, to the game last year as uh, having a, an amazing quarterback, but they did have a, a great game plan, and they did exploit weakness. And that's, that's the thing when you're playing these great, great teams. It does come down to coaching, and the little, the little weak spot that you might have, and in this case, in the championship game, you could say it was McKenzie Alexander going down from injury, mm-hmm. where they exploited that. That's what good coaches, that's what good offenses and good quarterbacks will do. So I, I can definitely – I could see that. Um, I will say, though, collectively, when I look at the nation's elite and where, where Clemson stands within that top five, top ten teams that we legitimately think could win a championship, until FSU and LSU figure out their quarterback situation, I think it's not all that daunting. It's not, it's not a, any juggernaut that stands out to me. If Brandon Harris is, the, is a Heisman contender, then uh, right with Leonard Fournette, then that's, that is scary. Yeah, and but, there's not really yeah. like a favorite team this year. Maybe it is Clemson. I mean, we, we do have the tough te- road test in Tallahassee. Very well could be Clemson is like the, we may be the best team in the country. Yeah, we, I think we need to prepare ourselves for that. We're not going to sneak up on anyone this year. You know, kind of as fans, this is unfamiliar territory playing, you know, as the, the favorite in almost every game. Right, and, you, and we talked about this in our top 25, you know, what the, the national writers are saying, the prognostication. Um, why not us would be a, an argument and be, because we look at our offense yeah certainly there's there's question marks on our defense but you look at our offense and I think you have to feel pretty good that it's going to be the best yeah. like maybe probably the best in the nation I don't know about statistically but probably the best in the nation um, and then could it be like stupid good could it be historically good possibly yeah. and I don't know looking at Alabama you know they'll have a good defense LSU will have a really good defense but yeah. is there any team that strikes you with Wow, that's his like historically good. That's an historically good side of the ball like yeah. Clemson has, and I think that's where I mean we'll certainly get into our season preview episodes coming up, and we'll we'll look at Clemson. I think the big question in my mind is, will our offense be that much better than a year ago? Maybe even more so than our defense will be potentially worse than a year ago. Like, where does our net you know where do we net out in terms of you know one side of the ball versus the other improvement or decline? Um, and, you know, we have to consider schedule. I think last year, actually, we had a much harder schedule than we will this year. We'll see. You could have a resurgent Georgia Tech. Louisville could be super legit. You know, we could have, you know, maybe another game in there that we didn't think would be tough. But, you know, someone, could, one of the new coaches could have their, their school figured out um, coming into this year. So, yeah. anyway, um, definitely more to get into. But um, good question for sure. Who, who, I mean, I, I think it is fair and safe as a Clemson team to want to look ahead and, um, or as fans rather, 
um, to be thinking, you know, six, seven months down the road. Obviously, a lot of games to play and all that, but... Um, it's yeah. great to be able to examine these teams when you know, like, you know, you know you're right there at the top. Uh, it's good to be able to examine these teams to see, like, what are, their, what are their flaws, what are their strengths, and assess that versus how you would do, how Clemson would do against them. Yeah, or normally, I mean, I think, you know, two years ago, if we're looking at this season, we probably were not looking at other conferences as closely and the top of those conferences we'd probably focus more on our schedule and teams we would play but you know now if you can almost consider beat fsu we're getting out of the acc then you can look ahead of the playoff um right assuming the coastal doesn't have somebody potent in that game whereas a couple <laughs> years ago you might think more like how are we going to win you know 10 11 12 games Right, and you're you're right about the easier schedule. I I, I think I agree. I don't think the ACC is going to be there quite yet, uh, in terms of picking up that middle class of the ACC. But I also think the toughest game on our schedule is FSU, uh, and it's yeah. probably the toughest game that we've had in terms of conference games since they came into Death Valley with with Jameis Winston. So uh, I hope that's not the make or break game that it determines our playoff destiny, but could be, could be. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, that is all that we had for today, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Um, be sure to subscribe to us, as we said, on iTunes or um, in your smartphone's podcasting app. Um, stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Thank you again to those who submitted questions. Uh, we'll probably do you know some more mailbags here, so certainly hit us up on Twitter or at clemsonpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again, and go Tigers.